you'll find that this psalm is somewhat of a familiar psalm. You've sung Christian songs that are thematically aligned to this particular psalm. But what I maybe I think will happen is you'll be able to look at this psalm a little bit differently because how we sing it and the circumstances surrounding its writing, I think for the most part, would be somewhat different. This psalm, before we read it, is about a priest or a group of priests that were really struggling. And it'll come out in the text. They were extremely lonely. They were despondent. They were thirsty and they were hungry. And that thirst came out as this was being penned. And I titled the message, Despair and Thirst. Now, I know that's kind of dark and and depressing in a a certain way. And as I was worshiping uh, before I came up, I feel feel as though there should be a, a subtitle to this. And the subtitle should be, Changing My Story. Changing My Story. Though it is despair and thirst now, there's an aspect that comes out here of a declaration of change and of a seeking of change, a changing of my story. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams. We've sung that song, right? As a deer pants for the water. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And this is what he's remembering. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What you need to see here is that there is a priest recollecting the glory days. Right? He's a priest penning this now when he's saying, There is an animal that is ever so thirsty, dying of thirst as is, and as that animal longs for water just to quench the dryness, the, 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 the crack in the dryness of his tongue, so I long for you, meaning I, I don't feel that. They're telling me, Where is your God? As I look at your circumstance, I don't see God in your life. And so I remember the days when I would lead God's people in a procession into the house of God. And it would be a joyous festival. And I remember that day. I look upon that day with fondness. I want it back. You see the yearning of a bright past. But there's a longing and a deep cry here. And he goes on in verse 5. And he says to himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again. Meaning currently he is not. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Notice he's not talking about the God of his service, the God of when he's leading worship. He's talking about the God who is of his life, even in this present circumstance. The God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? This is not a a joyful confession here. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. And my God. What I want you to see through this psalm as a main idea is that drought, famine, and pain. And I speak of those things figuratively and also literally. When you think of the different emotional droughts of your life, but when you think of the dryness of the actual season of your life, when you think of physical hunger or an emotional or spiritual hunger, when you think of pain, that these things are integral influencers for a deepening Christian life. And I want you to to understand that through this song. I want this to get through. That drought, famine, and pain, they are tutors. They, they, They take us by the hand. They do. Drought, famine, and pain, they take us by the hand and they take us from shallow Christian living to deep, free Christian living. And it takes these tutors to lead us to this place. And when we go with these to this place, this place becomes a very stable, freeing place. But in order to get from a shallow life to a deep, free life in Christ, we need to cross a threshold. And what is the threshold? Getting our eyes off of people, uh, off of people, and onto God. And this is what the psalmist is going through. As he thinks about his current plight, things aren't going well. You look at the guy, just, he's, it's not going well with him. You would wish for a better day for this guy. And as he is writing this, looking upon his circumstance, he's saying, this really sucks. I look at my life and I look at where I came from. I want to go back to that. I liked it when we were there, when I was doing that. And I remember that so fondly. And this is what I yearn for. And as I look at my life and my service to God now, it is not there. And because it's not there, the people that are around me, that knew me from back then and see me now, they're actually pointing a finger and they're condemning me. They're saying, where is your God? Weren't you that person that did that? Where is He in your life now? 
And that's the thing about people. When we are in a high moment, they, they might cheer us on, maybe a little bit with jealousy. But when we are in a low moment, those fingers start wagging and pointing and judgment comes out. And the people were looking at this, this writer of the psalm. And he was saying, your God is not with you. And to a certain extent, the psalmist here felt that it was true. These accusations, these statements that God was not there, that he was absent. Because what comes out is, I don't feel you. Why have you forgotten me? Why is this my plight? Why is this the circumstance? And he's wanting more and he's not feeling that God is present, near and close. And his bones have wounds. I mean, how much must there be an internal ache in your heart when you feel that your bones hurt? We're not talking about a surface wound and a little cut. We're saying that inside my body, my bones are actually wounded and quivering. This is how much this hurts. This is how much it hurts. Because as these people were hurling judgments, he didn't want to show his face. And so this is the threshold, getting eyes off of people and onto God. And we can do this actually through these tutors of drought, famine, and pain. And it's strange how these negative things can lead us to goodness. It's strange how that happens. But if we can, in the drought and in the famine and in the pain, because this is when everybody starts pointing fingers, isn't it? You know, it's, when things are, are, are bad, it seems like everyone has an opinion about that. You know, I lost my job or, or I just, I don't look good or successful. And it seems like wherever I go, someone has an opinion about my, my current circumstance in life. And in this space, as people are not saying nice things, if I can begin to get my eyes off of people, and on to God, that becomes the threshold that I cross from a shallower faith to a deeper one. And this guy, he was reaching deep, man. He was saying, my bones are hurting, but I say to myself and my soul, why are you down? I know I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? And he's speaking to himself. I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where you're really just out of it. Everybody has an opinion about what you are going through, and it's all half-truths. But they think it's full truth. Their opinion, in their eyes, seems to be the right opinion. And as you look, you're not trying to justify yourself. You're not trying to write an email or a text to everybody and say, this is exactly why it is, why it was, give me a break. And without trying to justify yourself to everybody and leaving them with their opinions, yet inside there is something that is dying on the inside. You're wanting to recover a change in the story of your testimony. You want to flip in it. And this is what he's yearning for and he's calling to himself, Why are you down, my soul? Hope in God. I know I'm not now, but there will be a day where I will again praise Him. And 
when we're on a mountaintop and when we're in a valley, both of these places require us to remember God. In the mountaintop, when everything is going well and people are cheering us on and seemingly envious of everything we have or who we are, we need to remember God and give glory to Him. They say, it's not because of me. But when we are in the valley, when everything is wrong and people are, 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 are hurling insults and we feel belittled and we feel that we have no spine, we don't want to go out in public, we don't want to share our story with anybody, in the valley, in this moment, we still need to remember God. And here we remember that my story can change. That God is not a, a God of just seasons but as he would say, the God of my life. Not just when I was leading processions in the past with the people in joyful song, going to the house of God, but even in this low and dark moment, this time of despair and great thirst, that he is my God. And so the very first verse of this song, right? As the deer pants for flowing water, now, when I sang this song, as the deer, you know, when I sang that song years ago, this was like this, like warm, oh, you know, I just want to lap water from the bowl of your hand and just, I just want goodness and peace. And it was such a peaceful, exuberant confession of worship as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. But as I reread it, I realize that it really isn't that. That this is not a phrase of endearing worship. It's actually a declaration of desperation and pain. That's what it is. He's saying that there is an animal that is in a dry place and there is no water anywhere. The sun is pounding. There is no relief. And as this animal is frantic for life, wanting to survive, looking for a drop of liquid, so my soul is so thirsty right now for you because I don't see it. There is no moisture around me. All I feel is the heat coming down my back and it is dry and parched out here. And as that animal is searching frantically, so I need you. I'm running from corner to corner in this grand space looking for relief. And I don't seem to find it. It's desperation. It's pain here. This is not this quaint little conf confession. But the panting for God here is a deep moaning and a groping for a lifeline. I want you to imagine somebody drowning. I know it's not a pretty picture, because it shouldn't be. That's this statement. We're not talking about somebody just going for a casual swim, dipping their toe in the water. We're talking about somebody that is about to just be in over their head. Waves are crashing. There is nothing to hang on to. And you are just flailing. You are just shouting, I need help. That's this picture. 
We've got a flailing man here. And he's asking God for help. Have you ever prayed for God to use you? I mean, you know, like, God, would you use me in some way? I've prayed that plenty of times. Have you ever prayed for, a, God, I, I want a, a deeper, more passionate f- f- Christian life, and I want to follow you with all of my heart? Have you ever prayed that? Right? And I find it somewhat ironic, especially in light of a, a passage like this, that we pray for more passion in life, But in so doing, we shun the very thing that can bring that into our lives. This. That in our worship and in our prayers, if we're asking God for a hunger from Him or for Him, but shun the very thing that brings it, withdrawal, famine, thirst, I think we need to reconsider the last time we were hungry or thirsty. Think about it. Have you ever fasted for a day? I mean, a saltine cracker is like a steak for you in those moments, right? right? Have you ever worked like eight hours and you didn't even realize you were just so into it and you were like famished? We go from like starving and then we stuff ourselves crazy, right? Because we are so hungry. You skip a meal. For whatever reason, if you go for a longer period of time without consuming any food or drinking any liquid, the level of hunger and thirst dramatically increases because there is a direct correlation to the length or depth of withdrawal to the degree of hunger and thirst. There's a direct correlation that hunger and thirst comes because of withdrawal. If I'm always eating and snacking on something, like, I mean, all of the time throughout the day, and never hungry, that doesn't come. And so it is the actual presence of a withdrawal, a famine, if I may say so, that actually is the catalyst for hunger and thirst. So if I'm asking God, Lord, I want to be more hungry for you, in a sense, that is directly connected, tied to drought, famine, thirst, pain. So let me show you this flow. A mature Christian life, in my estimation, if a mature Christian life is connected to intimacy in personal worship, like, okay, to be a mature Christian... There is an element that in my life as a mature Christian, there is intimacy in my personal worship to God. And if intimate worship is connected to the presence of a deep and sincere hunger for God, so for example, I cannot have intimate worship if there is not a sincere and deep hunger for Him, then having seasons of drought, famine, and pain have direct and deep ties to the maturity of my faith. And so I want to be a a strong, mature believer. I want to be able to survive any season, any difficulty, any dryness. I want my faith to be strong. I want to be, as Psalm 1 says, like a tree planted by streams of water that my leaves do not wither because it's not dependent upon the season around me or above me, but upon the water that is constant underneath. I want my life to be like that, mature, strong, rooted, and firm. If that is the case, there needs to be intimate worship. And if I want intimate worship, there needs to be the presence of a hunger 
But if that is the case, it is these things that have direct ties to the maturity of my faith. And so if I want to be a mature Christian, yet say, God, I don't want to have drought in my life. I think it's sending mixed messages. Because for most, we think the good Christian life is the blessed and full life. And we interpret that to say, I have no wants that God has provided for me. I mean, think about the last time you were provided for, for whatever reason or in whatever sphere. You feel blessed that God gave this to you and you feel full and satisfied. And you give worship to God in that moment and we should. But if we equate the the good and mature Christian life to always being full, we are never hungry. And so to shun the thing and the season that brings a deep desperation and a hunger is to send a mixed message. For some reason, this was a difficult psalm for me to read this time. Maybe it's just the season that I'm in personally. But as I read it, it was just a difficult read for me. But I knew this was a natural progression of what I needed to speak on in light of what we talked about last week, the silence of God. When God goes silent. That Mary and Martha, their, 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 their brother Lazarus being sick, calling for Jesus and Jesus delaying, saying, I know I love the guy, but you know what, it's, I'm just going to hang back here for a couple of more days. And Mary and Martha pointing the finger saying, if you were here, our brother would not have died. And the moment we want God to show up feeling as though he is not, that there are many other voices in the room, but the one voice we want is not dialed up. In light of that, this Psalm 42 message is very appropriate. As we think of this person who was a leader in God's house, remembering the days that were good, but now in a season where it is not. And everybody's saying, why is it like this? Judging the man. And even himself doubting where God was, if God remembered him at all. Is what they are saying true? Have you left? Are there no better days in front of me? And all there seems to be is aching. The message of this psalm, I hope, rings home to you. Whatever place from valley to mountaintop or in between you're in. I encourage you to remember God. That if it's the valley, remember Him. Speak to your soul. If it's the mountaintop, remember Him. Give greater glory and thank Him for the things, the good things that He has given But the maturation and the deepening of the Christian life, going from shallow to true, freeing depth, must cross the threshold of me getting my eyes off of people and what they're saying or what they're doing to me and get them squarely fixed on a God that is not just trying to put out fires in my life, that He sees every season, 
and he sees the mosaic and the colors and the depth and the texture, and he says, ah, that's all part of my masterpiece. That's what I'm actually doing. I don't want it to be a bland, one-color experience, but I'm giving you the variations to show you the depth and the beauty of my glory. And I want you to know it all. In the presence of the, the hurtful red, brings more vibrance and a soothing nature to the quiet blue. That it is the contrast of season that brings true depth in, of worship and a deeper, greater knowledge of God. And this is what I wish for you and for me. And so I turn the final corner. Praise team, you guys can come back. As you contemplate this psalm, let me say this to end. God's perceived absence can be a catalyst for a maturing faith if you let it, if you choose to let it. Because there's actually a detour. From this line of perceived absence, I know I only put one line that goes down to maturing faith, but there's actually a detour that can go that way to despondency. And I can look at God's perceived absence and be despondent and walk away and fall away and I can go that way or if somehow I hang on to hope, it can actually through the doubt, drought, famine and pain bring me to a level of deepening, maturing faith. And if you want a maturing faith, if this is something you desire, you need to be prepared for despair and thirst. If this is what you want. If you don't hightail out after perceived abstinence, going to despondency, and you choose, this is the route I want. I want to go to maturing faith. You need to be prepared for feelings of despair and thirst. Because it is the presence of these things that actually catapults us into the deeper places of God, of trust, of believing, of faith. And in this place, please remember to tell yourself, hope in God, I shall again praise Him. Tell it to yourself. You're not doing it now. There is something in you that it's just difficult to muster it up. But tell yourself, there will be a day, an hour, and a moment in which I will again praise God. My life, there is another story. My story will change from this present circumstance. I know it's not preferable, what I want, and everybody seems to be judging me in this particular place, but it will change. I shall again praise Him. Tell this to yourself, your soul, and believe it, because God can bring it and He can do it. That the words and accusations of people, they're frail and weak, though they feel sharp and harsh. It is the presence and the promise and the faithfulness of God that brings us to a place where we can confess such a thing. May that be our confession. Amen.